decades spending mass focused on alleviating poverty. British public's trust in charities is declining. Funding pressures are increasing. Technologies like blockchain are revolutionising our work. The SDGs are crucial to ensuring no one is left behind. Power is shifting to the global south. The Bondcast, exploring the debates in international development. Hello and welcome to Boncast. Our world is facing huge challenges. Inequality is growing, people still live in extreme poverty, humanitarian crises and environmental degradation are increasing. With so many problems escalating in scale and complexity, civil society needs to find ways to work together differently in order to achieve the change that we're looking for. I'm Stephanie Draper, the Chief Executive of Bond, and today we're going to be talking about how we can work together to create more change and impact. We've brought together experts who lead coalitions and networks to hear their stories and insights into what makes collaboration work. First, we have Christina Bennett, CEO of the Start Network. Hi, Stephanie. Next, we've got Nazra Ismail, Director of Somalia NGO Consortium, who's calling in from The Hague. Hi, Stephanie. And finally, Charlene Collinson from Forum for the Future, who works on the Cotton 2040 initiative. Hello. So, you all work in networks and coalitions that bring together diverse players and are working towards greater impact. What do you think makes your collaboration successful? And what positive impact have you had? Christina. Well... You know, Start Network was founded on the premise that um, in many ways what we're witnessing is the end of the charity model, the end of aid as we know it, as we have known it, as new forms of technology, as new forms of funding, and um, as new voices shift power in significant ways. So Start has really been set up as a network for change. And we've got now close to or just above 50 members that have all come together to change the humanitarian sector in significant ways from shifting financing from a reactive to a proactive model by creating a more balanced system that shifts power and decision-making to those closest to the front line, and by facilitating collective innovation to solve humanitarian problems locally. Um, And maybe that's where we've seen a real significant change in the way that we all work together and and impact in terms of what we see on the ground. We were engaged in a two-year project about community-level innovation, so bringing communities and entrepreneurs together at community level to solve problems that they saw in their communities. Um, And through that, we brought together a really diverse group of partners. So, for example, um, a local hospital in Bangladesh, the Dhaka Community Hospital Trust, working with an Indian NGO called Seeds. Um, And then the University of New South Wales, um, which was a specialist in innovation, and CRED, the Center for Research on the Epidemiology of Disasters that brought in the research and data. And together what they looked at was the intersection of health problems and urban environments. And through our innovation project, really came up with a set of of 22 different ideas for solving the specific public health problems in um, a very dense urban settlement near Dhaka. And together came up with a solution set, or a set of 22 solutions to improve the public health services in in that urban environment. So what we've seen through START is really the the coming together of different groups of people, of, of coalitions of the willing, if you will, to try to solve problems collectively using their different levels of expertise and areas of, of focus to bring new solutions, new creative solutions to local problems. And what 
what is it do you think about the start network that makes that collaboration successful Well, I think it is the diversity. I think that as humanitarians uh, in the past, we've always been very self-reflective. We've worked, we tend to work alone. We've tended to work with one another, with big organizations, you know, skilled for the purposes of humanitarian response. I think what we see in bringing together our network is that you don't need sort of card-carrying humanitarians to be effective humanitarian responders, that you can have local businesses, you can have scientists, you can have researchers from all over the world looking at humanitarian problems collectively and through that diversity of views uh, and the diversity of expertise really come up with different styles of solutions to uh, very traditional humanitarian problems, whether it's drought or food insecurity or, or public health issues. So there's the diversity and bringing different perspectives together, but also that process of looking at new ways of doing things. Yeah, and it was interesting. We did a stakeholder survey or a survey of our members last year and you know, really asking them what value did they see in Start Network and what made them stick to Start Network uh, as, a, as a concept but as, as a coalition. And 85% of respondents came back and said the most valuable thing for them about Start Network was you know, somewhat the funding that we bring, somewhat the visibility and the status that comes with belonging to a global network, but really what they were most Um, what what they valued most was the behavioral change that they saw in joining Start Network. And by behavioral change, what I mean is by becoming part of a larger network, they sought out partnership intentionally and more intentionally than they would have in the past. They looked at partnership in new ways. So not about, uh, partnership wasn't necessarily about finding people to implement the programs that they were already doing, but really looking for different areas of expertise and different complementarities to bring to uh, to the projects that they were working on. So it was a much more intentional approach to partnership and a much more diverse approach to partnership than they would have done in the past. So what about the Somalia NGO Consortium, Nazra? What makes your collaboration successful? And tell us a little bit about it. So we started out actually 20 years ago. We're celebrating a 20th year uh, this coming year. And it hasn't always looked the same. The Somalia NGO Consortium has been a consortium, but it has adapted so much in its first seven years, in its middle seven years, and then what we think is uh, these more recent seven years. First, it was set up purely out of a necessity to have actors in Somalia who were working uh, right after uh, the civil war and fall of the government to, uh, to, to share lessons, to figure out how do they enter a community, who do they work with, basic things, how do they move assets, humanitarian assets. And so it was quite uh, an open system. It did serve only international NGOs, and that's one of the things we hearken to in terms of where we started and where we are as a huge difference and driver of our strategy today. In the middle seven years, we began to formalize. We began to perhaps uh, move away from just volunteerism, which was coming from the international members, and begin to have a a governance uh, secretariat, um, the beginnings of a formal system. In these last seven years, another evolution has happened. We are actually a much more diverse, much more open NGO fora in that um, we have uh, brought back and they have uh, completely changed the way we work. Uh, our strategy. We now have a large uh, national organization, national civil society who have joined us. So truly we can say we are a, um, a diverse uh, NGO consortium. We now have um, about 40% of our fora that are coming from national organizations. 
that hasn't happened because it was just nice to have. That happened because a number of things changed. The leadership of the NGO consortium uh, began to attract more Somali leadership. I think that gave a lot of confidence to the community. That gave us as a board a bit more leverage in, in who we say we speak for. And so in a place like Somalia, where often you do hear cyclical droughts, famines, perhaps a disorganized system in terms of governance, this has been a, an incredible platform for social uh, actors to come together, for humanitarian actors to come together. And we serve also almost a service for the government. Uh, rather than chasing around thousands of NGOs, they come to us and they have one door uh, that they can uh, attract and talk to and speak to and dialogue with um, actors who are providing critical services to their community. We, we place a premium on the services we provide, coordination, uh, networking, uh, policy influence, but also a place where people can come together and think on the most complex problems that are facing Somalia. One of the things that does enable us to do that is uh, the diversity. And we have tried very hard to not only attract local actors, but to maintain their voice, to really make them part of the strategy. Uh, this year, we were able to have 50-50 members on the NGO consortium board. We have local actors, we have international actors, and we went beyond and tried to set a model for uh, women's uh, voices as well. So that's been critical to be adaptive in that way. The second thing has been we're not afraid of critiquing each other before we critique the system. Uh, localization has been one of our pillars uh, this past couple of years, and we've done that solely because of the interest and the voice and representation and leadership of our local NGOs who've pushed us, who've pushed the international actors, whether they're UN, whether they're donors, whether they're international actors, doesn't really make a big difference. It's that, that they felt that they had, they had trust in the system and in the consortium. We're also beginning to um, really reach out uh, to regional actors, to international actors, to make sure that we are part of the global voice as well, that we are putting a positive aspect of what people know about Somalia. It's not all famine, it's not all terrorism. What's happening on the ground is this beautiful mix of, yes, devastating work that's uh, occurring to the communities, but also some really beautiful innovations that are coming through. The Somali NGO Consortium is one of those things. It is adapting to the community that we're in. Charlene, Cotton 2040 is a slightly different collaboration, bringing in business voices alongside CSOs. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and what makes that successful? So I think firstly, what makes Cotton 2040 particularly successful is that it brings together the whole sector across the whole value chain to work on the critical issues that, that really matter. And that's really key. It's that whole system um, approach. So let me tell you just briefly what Cotton 2040 is to put that into context. Cotton 2040 is a multi-stakeholder initiative that brings together actors across the whole cotton value chain to accelerate progress and scale the impact of all those players so that sustainable cotton becomes mainstream. It just becomes the way things are done. Cotton 2040 is convened by Forum for the Future, which is a leading international sustainability nonprofit. And uh, Forum works to address the critical challenges by catalyzing change across key systems, such as working on the energy system so that we stay within 1.5 degrees, working on the sustainability of food systems, and in the case of Cotton 2040, working on supply chains so that they're equitable and resilient. What's really key is the systems change approach, so really bringing the whole system into the room, 
and also drawing on our expertise and our methodology in futures so that we can really understand the long-term risks, the trends, the opportunities that lie in the, the near and not-so-near uh, future. We're working uh, in Cotton 2040 in the cotton sector because unless cotton is sustainably grown, it has unacceptably high levels of impact on the environment and on the people who work in the value chain. And I'm thinking particularly of farmers and workers and particularly on smallholder farmers who grow um, over 65% of the world's cotton. By uh, working on the critical issues across cotton together, we can take a much more coordinated approach to aligning the way the different actors work so that they're really pulling in the same direction on the barriers to progress that affect everyone. Let me give you an example. By having many different standards and also many different NGOs working on sustainable cotton as they have over the last 10 years or so, certain organizations, many of those organizations are doing really excellent work but because they're all working on different issues or sometimes on the same issues in very different ways and there isn't alignment across the sector, the impact of their collective work has, has just not reached the level where we can see it scaling in the way that it needs to in order to secure a sustainable cotton system for the future. So we've been working to bring those actors together, uh, spend time firstly understanding the bigger picture of the system, the long-term risks, challenges and opportunities, and then selecting a few key areas to work on, like telling a common story about what sustainable cotton is and what makes it sustainable, like bringing together the different standards to look at how do we report and measure the same things so that people can understand when they're looking to create a, a sourcing strategy what each of the different standards is and how it differs from, from the others, and so on. Really bringing those actors together, understanding the big picture, and then choosing where to act together so that everyone has more impact ultimately. One of our big successes was bringing together the range of different cotton standards to come to some basic agreements about, firstly, how we describe sustainable cotton and creating a common platform that brands and retailers could use to just demystify the whole bewildering set of options around how you choose sustainable cotton and what makes it sustainable. So our first step was to create a comprehensive guide that we called the Cotton Up Guide. It's available free of charge online. And all the standards participated in the making of that. And that was the first step so towards eliminating a really systemic barrier that was getting in the way of many brands and retailers that wanted to source more sustainable cotton, but simply weren't in the position of being able to invest the time and the resource to figure out amongst the different options what their strategy should be. And this is really um, demystified uh, a significant part of the process through that collective effort. So how did you get a number of different standards providers to work together? I think the special source was taking a futures approach because everyone's working really hard on the problems of the present. But when you bring stakeholders together through 
having trusted relationships to convene those actors in the first place, which is always a really critical success factor, but bringing those actors together and looking at future scenarios, and in this case we'd um, developed a set of future scenarios for cotton, looking at what the industry might look like in 2040, and we had four different future possibilities. And we spent a day with all those actors, with the standards, with the brands, with the retailers, with the middlemen, with other NGOs. And through looking at those different futures, it's a very mind-focusing process because it makes it really apparent that if we continue in the way we are, we won't get to any of those desired scenarios. And uh, we're, we're looking at some scenarios that are not sustainable and don't add value for anyone. So I think going through that process together was the first galvanizer and it provided the incentive for the standards to come together and the other NGOs that we work with to say, okay, we can see that there are some areas that have to be worked on together. We won't be able to do this um, and meet the scale of the challenges by continuing work on our own, however good we may feel that, that we are working. So by collaborating on those really critical areas, then we can make a difference that benefits all of us. So I think it's, you know, ultimately people have to feel that you're working on the really critical hot issues and they need to feel that by working together on it and making the investment, which collaboration, of course, you know, requires investment of, of time and resource, but that by doing that, they're um, actually going to have more impact themselves and that the, the, the efforts will be more than the, the sum of the parts of those who are taking, taking part. So there's lots of themes around coordination and amplification, but also good process thinking forward and getting out of today in order to be able to have some shared goals. Nazra, can you tell us um, a little bit more about the value that your participants get out of the consortium? Why do they spend that extra time finding ways to work together effectively? I think we do similar surveys, as Christina mentioned, for START. And so what we hear from our clients, um, and they have been increasing joining the, the membership for the last several years, uh, we've seen the highest number of increase in our local actors. They see themselves represented not only in the membership and leadership, but they definitely see um, themselves written into the strategy. One of the four pillars that we have in our strategy for the past four years has been one pillar, standalone on localization. And it tells them that they matter. It tells them that we want their feedback and we need them as an asset to resolve the issues that we are handling on the ground, as complex as they are. And so I think one of it is a recognition that their voice and their skills and their uh, representation matters. And so they join simply for that reason. Other areas that they join is I think they put a, a value on network. Uh, we have a diverse network, international actors, local actors different size actors, uh, different skill sets. We have created um, ways where our actors are not able to um, interact with one another, but also interact collectively with the government. Uh, so there's a strong uh, recognition of the value, the collective value that we provide to uh, authorities on the ground that they have to work with, that they have to get permissions and um, other procedural um, work from. We also provide a pathway to work with donors. And so here we are really doubling down on our convening power 
not only convening the actors who are our members, but convening on the different stakeholders in the ecosystem. So here there, we've, we've heard from our actors that they value having a direct access to government, to donors, but then also simply showing it to a monthly meeting that we have in any of the six regions they, we are present in so they can learn what's happening more generally within Somalia, what's happening within the UN. Um, I think we are our first door to information uh, about the humanitarian development system. But what we have seen, some of the more exciting moments for me have been is when a member comes up to me and says, I've changed my strategy because I think what you are doing at the NGO Consortium, what other actors are doing, where donors are able to influence uh, their funding, this is making me change the way that I work, who I hire, and the strategies that I put in place. The other areas that they have joined more recently, and we're, we're reaching 100, uh, over 100 NGOs uh, this month, we have been trying very hard to think outside the box. Uh, one of the more recent partnerships that we have agreed to together with the NGO Consortium Board is one with Giving Tuesday. Now, most people will ask me, as an NGO coordination forum, working with the government, UN, and NGOs, what have you to do with a global movement like Giving Tuesday? The reason why we have uh, signed on with the Giving Tuesday as a global generosity movement unleashing the power of people is because uh, we need to attract more new thinking. We need to think fresh about the issues that we see. And for us, we started asking ourselves early in the year, such um, policy uh, transformations uh, or any kind of change in the system, what were the problems we were trying to solve through either more collaboration or through, uh, or through partnerships? Given Tuesday gives us an idea of linking to a global movement, of decentralizing power. Often, most of the power that we see in the sector, uh, unfortunately, is related to those who have money. And here we are as a convening entity, as a broker in, uh, of relationships between NGOs, government and donors. We want to break some of those old habits. We want to say there's a lot more power in community. So that global movement that has come from the global north, we've taken it, we've signed on to it, and we want to see what that does to our members. Our international and national members haven't quite thought through the power of generosity within the community. We know we provide uh, support. We know our programs are needed on the ground every time there's a drought or a climate emergency or a flooding. But what about amplifying the voices on, on the ground? And Giving Tuesday and that partnership has really given us um, a better way to answer the question, what problems are we going to resolve or are we going to solve better through collaborative means? Um, that's been a really great example for us. And more more younger, more entrepreneurship members have now joined us because of Giving Tuesday. And we see that as a way we experiment, as a way we think much more innovatively about problems. And then we accept also the position, we don't know everything. So how do we become a place that people can come to and really wow our actors and say, yes, I learned something by attending that meeting. That partnership model that the NGO Consortium has, it ought to uh, excite uh, the way NGOs work in the country. I love that, Nazareth. It's such a great model of amplification and sort of amplification of power as well as voice. You just couldn't do that without the consortium working together. So what's not working? What are the real challenges? We know that it's not easy. Actually, you have to invest time in collaboration. You have to work through some of the difficult relationships. Nazra, what have you learned from what hasn't worked? Well, what our members tell us every time uh, is that uh, working in silo does not work. Looking at the problems that we have in Somalia, again, uh, conflict protracted as it may be, 
shifts in development and this walk that we all need to do about being much more lean, much more impactful, much more cost effective, all these pressures for all of us to perform faster, better, and with less funding, what it means is our models currently, most of our models that our actors are using are outdated. They no longer fit the problems that we are engaging with, and they no longer provide the results that donors and stakeholders and communities are looking for. Um, I was having a conversation earlier this morning with a friend of mine from the private sector, um, a woman by the name of Rahma, and I was just saying, we know what's not working in the NGO sector, but what are you unlocking? What are you doing with your business model? I was so surprised. Her 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 thinking and the way she came at it and she said we have a we have a deficit in trust it doesn't matter what partnerships that you have it doesn't matter what problems that you are addressing in somalia she's looking at her problems as first and foremost resolving that deficit of trust and through collaboration with different actors through incentives of working better with um, more knowledge makers more local partners she's saying we're unlocking ways to build trust as a as a first priority as a first result um having that conversation this morning really helped me see that the way we look at a collaboration is different whether you are in a nonprofit in a private sector how we incentivize collaboration is also different one of the remarkable things she also told me, she said, these are all donor-driven um, requirements. Parts of her work has to do with bringing in more actors. Um, some of it is based on the premise that if you work better with local actors, you are actually reducing the time to scale up a program. You are reducing some of that lead time. And um, it really causes the international actors that she's working with to take a step back, to not always be leading, but to facilitating, to enabling. Um, it got me to think also in a new way about localization. Here I was in this last few years thinking localization was about just empowering and bringing the local actors to face. Actually, it brought me to a new level now to say the distrust in the system has come out much more vehemently, much more strongly in the discussions around localization and local actors are actually having a moment of not really just talking about money. I think that's a throwaway for, for right now, but I think it's the movement and the coalition building. Now, Christine, you hearken to that power of coalition. One of the things we've started to think through is localization needs to be reframed. Uh, yes, certainly is addressing a problem of inequity in our system. Yes, it is definitely talking about a role that has not been uh, a role and a partner and an asset, a local actor that has not been fully brought into the ecosystem of decision making. But we believe in the context that we're in that's calling for joint analysis, joint planning, uh, root causes, and better ability for all of our systems to address the problem of today. Local actors may be the innovation we're looking for. The local actors may be unlocking the, um, the, the answers that we need for these long-term issues. And so um, the trust, the trust uh, may be um, something that we need to think about. How does collaboration help us build more trust, better trust, long-term long trust in the system? Um, and I think we've got to look out more. There's more questions to ask about collaboration outside of our system than there is right now. Um, and so to me, collaboration, trust, and empathy are something we're thinking about now. Nazar, that's really interesting um, that you're talking about this question of localization in terms of not something that's a, that's just about financial gain or about channeling funding to local organizations, which is the way it's been framed in global policy debates. You know, at Start Network, we're seeing the same thing, that localization is really about representation of the broader diversity of the humanitarian ecosystem 
in the centers of power at the table where decisions are made, um, as well as being able to um, to operate with enough financial resources to undertake the work that they want to do. At Start Network, what we're trying to do now is reframe this localization debate as um, one of diversity. And I think, you know, in, in our membership, which is is increasingly aiming to be a much more diverse one, so a combination of international organizations, local organizations, civil society groups that wouldn't necessarily be on the humanitarian radar in other forums, we're really trying to represent what that ecosystem looks like um, it, within our membership. And, you know, that is where the beauty of our coalitions comes from. Um, the diversity of thought, the diversity of, of perspectives is really what makes this membership strong. But um, to Steph's question about what some of the challenges are, I think it's the tensions, the inherent tensions in that diversity is what makes the membership, um, which weakens it in certain respects. And I think that is something, of, you know, I'm reflecting of my experience with START so far. It's that inherent built-in tension to our membership that is one of its greatest challenges. I think that organizations have to recognize that collaboration isn't always going to benefit them all the time. But that doesn't mean that collaboration can't be more than the sum of, of the, the, the individual parts. I think to be a successful coalitionist and a successful diverse network, you have to be able to hold that tension that exists inherently in all of the organizations that make up that membership to understand what that tension is all about, to understand the vested interests that that make up uh, that network, to name them, to call it out, uh, and to be able to work around those tensions to, to achieve larger ambitions and larger ends. So, um, you know, collaboration isn't always going to be a win-win situation, and I think that's okay. I think that organizations who want to be parts of diverse networks have to accept that. And do you have any particular techniques that help you deal with that tension? Um, I don't think I have. Uh, no, I don't have. Um, I don't have the magic. Uh, the magic answer to that. I think a lot of it is about what Nazra was saying. A lot of it is about respect for the diversity of views, uh, respect and trust that what we are trying to do as part of a, a network is something larger than our individual interests. And as long as we come to discussions with that respect and with that understanding, we recognize that we're not always going to agree on things, but th that that's okay, that we can get around them. And sometimes we're going to be happy and sometimes we're going to be really disappointed in the outcome of a particular discussion or a particular initiative. You know, as CEO of Start Network, I feel that if I am making everyone in the network a bit uncomfortable, then I'm probably doing my job. Because I don't think that anyone should feel too comfortable in a network that's mo that's meant to represent a real tension of views. So I think it's about naming it, understanding it, calling it out, calling each other out, but with that underlying respect and value um, or and valuing of the, the partnership in and of itself. Yeah, and I, and I would add, I mean, I think language and lexicon is really, really important. Um, one of the ways we're trying to move our conversation and be a more honest convener and broker is, um, yeah, we are putting an end to some of these old terminology about how we look at each other and, and how we define who's a local what is a field uh, worker? Who is a community? Some of these things, uh, we recognize that language can be really powerful in that it can disunite us. It can really, really break uh, what I think are already fragile relationships, or it can really put some energy into reforming or reshaping and strengthening relationships. So we're being very careful here at the Somali NGO Consortium about language, calling uh, our communities delivery clients, 
much, much better, much more welcoming than, let's say, uh, just uh, IDPs, uh, though that is a technical term, looking at how we invite the full involvement of local actors and basically calling them a stakeholder. We need to really invite language that really puts us all in the same uh, starting point that doesn't divide us further. Uh, I think we ought to stop the usage of language like beneficiaries and local and international. We need to make sure that whoever is in the room, if you are representing civil society, if you are representing nonprofit organizations, then we are going to come under threat. It doesn't matter if you have an I or an L in front of your NGO. What matters is that you're able to protect that space, that you're able to speak to the shrinking space that's happening in Bangladesh, as well as you can speak to what's happening in Somalia. And so I think um, the convening language that we have in the ecosystem is going to be part of that problem. And I think, Christine, we're going to all have to get comfortable, exactly as you said, with discomfort. That's how I know it's a healthy ecosystem to come to when people are having real uh, discussions and there is tension and that tension is being able to manage we don't all have to solve it, but within the Somali NGO Consortium, I think um, we're going to think through how we not only invite more tension, but how we make that discomfort as part of the business model. And it's about then taking the time together to get to know each other as individuals, isn't it? That you actually build those relationships with each other so that you're then able to live with that discomfort. Charlene, is there anything that you've done in Cotton 2040 that you think is particularly useful in building that trust and ensuring that you overcome some of the challenges? Yes, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be able to build on the points that Christina and Nazra have made about the, the importance and the role of relationships because m- most collaborations and certainly the, those that we've experienced in Forum for the Future really exist and thrive only if you you attend to the relationships between all the actors who were involved. And um, a collaboration is really only as strong as, as the links between um, the different participants. And one of the things that we found really through trial and error and experience in convening these kind of collaborative relationships is that the process is really key to that relationship building. You you are not likely to come into a relationship or come into a collaboration with strong relationships. You have to nurture them through the process. And that can be particularly true of NGOs that may not have collaboration built into their DNA. Um, Many NGOs, um, certainly campaigning NGOs, work to a particular agenda. And when you're working in a collaborative uh, context, then that's about um, understanding the wider picture and sometimes making compromises in your agenda towards the greater good. So building in process within the collaboration to allow time for people to get to know one another and even more importantly to allow time to build a a picture of the whole system how that system or supply chain in the case of cotton 2040 works is absolutely essential because everyone will come into the collaboration with their own picture of their particular part of the system the issues that they care most about and the parts of the the sector that they know and um, can address really well but if you spend the time, as we do at the beginning of all our collaborative projects, to, to do what we call a system diagnosis, which is really mapping what the different parts of the system are, what the issues in the different parts of the system are, how do those different parts relate to one another, and coming to that bigger whole system view, 
then everyone gets an aha moment where they see where their relationships matter and where they can make a difference, perhaps by strengthening or forming new relationships, and also by by seeing the value of, of working together. Um, I think also the, the process of building relationships um, can can build over over time and in multiple collaborations. So, for example, in cotton, when we began to, to work with actors across the cotton sector, it, it can be a very politicized sector and uh, often relationships across different actors um, can be a bit controversial and there are strong disagreements on some of the really critical issues like genetically modified um, seed or the use of pesticides and fertilizers. So um, within those really strong disagreements, we needed to build trust across the different actors that they could work together. So we started first with something that was um, perhaps a bit easier, just to build ways of working together. And then as the trust and relationships grew, then we have progressed to grow on uh, and work together on uh, more and more challenging and controversial issues. So lots of challenges but all underpinned by trust. So what is it that we should do practically if we want to work in collaboration with others? Christina, do you have some tips for any NGOs who are thinking about setting up a coalition or participating in one? Sure, and I don't think anything I'm going to say is um, going to sound revolutionary. Um, But it's basically getting back to the point that I think all of us have made, which is that collaboration takes time. And collaboration isn't automatic. And so I think what we can practically do to ensure better collaboration is really build that time into our planning. That time also has a cost. So if you're trying to pull together a coalition, you need to build in the time um, to socialize, to to get people to know each other, to uh, understand the different language and the different words that people are using, sometimes to mean the same thing. Um, You need to build in the cost of that time and the cost even of maybe bringing in expertise to help you build that coalition. Start Network has relied sometimes on partnership brokers, people who specialize in building coalitions and bringing partners together. And I think that um, that investment in partnership brokering has been time very well spent and money very well spent for Start because it isn't automatic that we that we aren't automatically collaborators when we're coming from different perspectives and having someone there that can help bring us together um, has been very useful. So I would say, practically speaking, take the time to make to build the collaboration, to build the partnership before you start working together. Build that time into your, your planning, your budgets, um, and your timeframes in terms of getting the work done because ultimately it will take more time, but the payout will be greater and more successful in the end. Is that what you found, Nazra? Absolutely. I would I would agree. And I would even uh, take it to a couple of other levels. I think um, one of the things we're seeing, at least in a place like Somalia, is unfortunately, uh, collaboration has been primed as uh, one, you know, digital, whether you use Skype, whether you use Zoom. So I think we need to move away from tech enabled collaboration to real human collaboration Um, and the kind of collaboration that we believe are primed for learning not necessarily are we going to get the biggest donor not necessarily are we going to attract the kind of money that can be scaled quickly Uh, we've seen that the the collaboration model we have in country i wouldn't even call them collaboration i think there's just a model for getting more and more money so we need to really first see the misunderstandings 
of what collaboration is in our system so then we can move into what ought to be the right uh, pathway going forward. In addition to what uh, Christina said, I would say that we need to get serious about culture. You know, we've all heard of the saying, uh, oh, culture eats strategy f for breakfast. And so I would say breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and every other snack. So we need to get really serious about the, how do we enable the right spaces, not only for holding the tension, raising the tension, but also calling for what ought to be empathy-induced and compassionate uh, workforces. Uh, every office that I go to, of all of my members, and I try to, within a year, go to at least 50% of the offices in my uh, membership, you do see different work styles. You see uh, people are not necessarily sitting in the same area where we think, hmm, if you move this team to sit with this other team, might you have a uh, a difference in terms of the conversations that are happening in the hallway. And so I think the cultures uh, inside the systems we work with, this is the first thing I would look at and assess. Second is a complete recognition and incentive behind the power of platforms. Coalitions uh, are powerful. Coalitions call to a new way of working, a new way of thinking. And so if we're going to fight not only the problems at hand in places like uh, Somalia, where we say it's, you know, um, uh, harmful, where you've got um, terrorist uh, uh, portions of the country that are under uh, different authorities' control, where you have ever-growing interlinked uh, climate issues, then I think uh, a powerful platform would be able to look at some of these problems much more uh, honestly. And so recognizing that we do have to come together more. Uh, third and last, um, a coalition of differences. Again, we are putting much more emphasis on ensuring that um, to really test if we are truly a movement or just another block. If shrinking civil space is a problem, if not enough funding is going into humanitarian development nexus, if uh, we are still isolated from one another, then how do we look at and test that? Uh, it doesn't mean everybody has to be in the board, everybody has to be represented, but what it means is one of us in the room can be able to protect all of us. So testing out how we collaborate from a place of difference and not always similarity, not looking for people who speak like us, who sound like us, and who have been educated like us, really valuing differences in thought. Yeah, and I'd like to, to pick up on the point that uh, Christina mentioned about having a, a trusted convener. That's really essential because collaboration takes a lot of work. And a lot of that work um, is in knowing how to bring people together, knowing how to manage the process, knowing how to create the, um, the conversations in which change can really happen and really guiding those conversations over a long period of time. So um, Cotton 2040, like most of Forum for the Future's collaborations, takes uh, maybe three, four, five years to really see uh, the... The changes come about that we design from the beginning and we need to work together with partners over that period of time. And, you know, let's face it, it's, it's no one's job of the participating organizations to manage and convene the collaboration. So you need to have a trusted convener who you know knows how to do that and that everyone can, um, can trust is impartial and focused on helping you all work together to achieve the goal. That's the first point. I think this, this relates to the second point, which is governance. You need to have a really clear and robust governance structure right from the outset, so that, for example, 
everyone knows right from the get-go how you will make decisions and what will happen when you might not agree on a particular way forward so that through the governance model you understand who and how a decision will be made and how the initiative will be um, taken forward even after your work is, is finished. So getting the governance right is crucial. And then the third point, um, I think it's the, is it the elephant in the room or it's the, the unspoken power that makes all of these collaborations happen? You need a viable funding model. And uh, we haven't really talked very much about funding. That, that's, you know, probably a textbook in itself. In the case of Cotton 2040, um, we've been very fortunate to have a very strong base of core funding provided by the CNA Foundation, and that has allowed us to do a lot of the work, the behind-the-scenes work, uh, that's required to get all the partners on board, to diagnose the issues, to bring together some of the initial convenings and so on. And, um, and I think building in that, uh, that funding model and the business model from the beginning, you know, it takes a lot of time and success depends on, on getting it right. Because otherwise, you may do a lot of groundwork and make a lot of progress and then simply find that you don't have the funding to continue. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think um, Nazra pointed out all of the time that she spends with her members bringing the consortium together. We estimated at some point that it's about 60% of the work is actually offline. It's not in the kind of meetings. It's not those moments when you come together. It's making sure that you're oiling the wheels throughout the process and, and continuing to build those relationships. So thank you. Um, any final thoughts um, before we close? I have one, um, one thought or one comment just on the value of collaboration. And, and that is that really, you know, collaboration is not just valuable, it's, it's absolutely essential, uh, particularly around the global challenges that we're working with, with climate change, with water scarcity, um, with land use pressures, with all the things that NGOs are needing to work to address. And it's really only through coming together with others that we can create the kind of system-wide, um, multi-stakeholder approach where we can uh, achieve the kind of scale and the transformation that is required to, to address these to any level that's going to be um, necessary for a sustainable future. So collaboration really is the key to you know, all our futures. Yeah, and I just wanted to um, just sort of wrap up, wrap this up too with um, a description of what I think makes a good collaborator, both as an individual and as an organization. Um, we at START have uh, a bit of a mantra around that, that we use to guide our individual behavior, but also um, that we expect of our, of our, the behavior that we expect of our members. And I maybe just wanted to share that those mantras, we've got five of them with you. Um, the first is we put people first. The communities we serve come first in our decision-making and our programming. We are brave. We have great ambition and are willing to explore new things and willing to take risks to achieve it. We operate collectively, leveraging the value of working as a network, sharing risks, resources, and learning together. We are inclusive. We see the value in diverse perspectives to remove barriers that prevent voices being heard. And finally, we are open. We work transparently with integrity to build mutual trust in all levels of our work. And I feel like those five attributes really encapsulate a lot of what we've been saying today, both uh, and should guide us in our collaborations, both as individuals and as organizations. Fantastic mantra and a great way to end a really insightful discussion. 
This is only going to get more important. We need to be working effectively together in order to transform our sector and ensure that we actually accelerate progress towards the Sustainable Development Goals. We're going to be delving much more deeply into how we connect and work together at the Bond Conference in March 2020. Book your place now, go to the Bond website or sign up to our newsletter for more insights and resources into collaboration and more details of how we bring people together. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate or review us on your chosen podcast platform. Five stars, please. Thank you. 